0: Thank you for joining us at Praise Chapel Paramount. We hope you enjoyed this message from our Men's Discipleship Service with Pastor Greg Johnson. Also, we'd love to hear what God has done in your life. To share your story, email us at info at pcparamount.org. Again, we hope you enjoy this message. Well, listen, it's good to be here. How many glad you're in God's house tonight? It's good to be here, amen. Well, listen, I want to have you turn to two scriptures. Let's get right to it, 2 Corinthians 13, turn there, and to Matthew chapter 1. 2 Corinthians 13 and Matthew chapter 1. When I first came to the Lord in 1971, I had no church background of any kind. That means that I had no theological arguments with my pastor. I didn't have any prior understanding of anything. So whatever he said, I was in, whatever that was going on. And so on the night that I got baptized in water, about two weeks after I was saved, I remember when my pastor was putting me under the water, he said these words, upon profession of your faith, I baptize you in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. That was the first time in my life I'd ever heard those words. I'd never heard Trinity language before. I didn't I didn't I didn't pop out of the water and say that word's not in the Bible. I just received it. I said, okay, I don't know what that means. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. But as time went on, I began to understand that God has revealed Himself in three persons. And later, as I became a pastor and began to investigate more and spend some time in the scripture, the understanding of the Father and the Son. And the Holy Spirit began to become very real to me. But early on, I was very much in love with Jesus. I got saved. Jesus is a revolutionary taking over the world. I'm into that. Let's do that. And I was baptized in the Holy Spirit, spoke in tongues. But I struggled a little bit with the fatherhood of God because fathers had never been a positive influence in my life. When I thought of fathers, I didn't have good thoughts. My childhood memories of fathers were marked by fear, abandonment, and violence. And I spent 12 years with an alcoholic stepfather. and never even knew that he wasn't my father until I was old enough. My mom said, he's not your dad. I said, thank God for that. But the idea of God as a good father was hard for me to grasp. I don't know if anybody here can relate to that. I don't know what your background is. I just—I don't—I might not be alone in this, but lots of people struggle with. Uh, you know, he's a good, good father. If you had a great father, God bless you, Beaver. You know, great. But a lot of guys did not, and so it was hard for me sometimes. That to, to, the fatherhood of God was a struggle for me, and I had no reference points for it. And so I think for many years of my life, I struggled with. You know what some have called an orphan spirit. An orphan spirit is a bondage that makes you believe that you're alone and there's nobody you can count on. And if it's going to get done, you're going to do it. And the Calvary's not coming. You're going to have to get it done. Dad's not helping you. And so that orphan spirit causes all kinds of problems and damage, especially when you're in ministry, and that would be a good thing to preach on someday. But every believer, every man in this room tonight, needs a working, intimate relationship Every member of the Godhead I want you to think about that for a moment In 2 Corinthians 13 verse 14 Listen to what Paul says May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ And the love of God And the fellowship of the Holy Spirit Be with you all Here is Paul He's ending a, an epistle And it says you need to be able to engage Each of these three persons that are part of God's revelation to us, the love of the Father, the grace of the Son, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit. You spend the rest of your life pursuing that right there. I want to know the love of the Father, I want to know the grace of the Son, and I want to know the fellowship and the companionship of the Holy Spirit. Now, I can't preach on all that tonight because the sun will come up before we're done. But I want to draw your attention tonight to the love of the Father. This is something God really spoke to me in recent years. What is it like, what is it really like to have God as a father? What does it mean to love Him as a father, to trust Him as a father, to lean into Him as a father? Well, I want to come at this from a little different angle tonight that you might be used to, but I want to use a man that we don't talk about often in Scripture. He was a father, and his name is Joseph, and he was the husband of Mary, who was the mother of Jesus. Because Joseph is the man that God had adopt his son. Jesus wasn't Joseph's son. Jesus was the son of God the Father. But God the Father turned his son over to Joseph to raise. And he is kind of the forgotten father of Christmas, isn't he? We sing carols about the Mary. We sing songs about the wise men. Even the shepherds get a song. Even the sheep get a song. But there's no carols about Joseph. And yet his role in the birth of Jesus was astounding. Because God asked him to marry a woman who was made pregnant by the Holy Spirit. And then asked Joseph to adopt and raise his own son. This is what God said, Joseph, I want you to raise my son. And it's only by Joseph adopting Jesus into his family that Jesus becomes the son of David, the king of kings and the promised Messiah. That's the only way that works. Listen to God's words to him in Matthew chapter 1, verse 20. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. Joseph's going to name him. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet, the virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son, and they will call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. So God tells this man Joseph to adopt his son into his family, wants him to name him, wants him to raise him, protect him, and then at a certain time release him into his destiny. You know, talk about a nervous new father, that you're raising God's son. And so this is the this is the Joseph angle. And I, and I want to take Joseph's story tonight, and I want to use it to talk to you about God adopting you as his son. Because Joseph gives a picture of how God expects sons to be raised. I believe God gave specific instructions to Joseph on how to raise Jesus and how to name him and how to release him and how to protect him in his life. Because I want you to understand something tonight, that y- your understanding of adoption is the key to your inheritance. You don't. If you don't understand adoption, you'll never fully enter into inheritance. It'll totally elude you. It'll just be a word. But one of the great revelations of the Scripture is that we are heirs and joint heirs with God through Jesus Christ, his son. I'm going to come back to Joseph in a moment. but I want you to think about this because it's the father's job to raise up a son and to release a son. Now, when I first time I preached this sermon, it was in a mixed crowd, a Sunday morning in our church. And there were a lot of people in that crowd that, that morning as I'm talking about sons. There were a lot of, you know, people there. There were a lot of other people besides men. There were women there. And so a lot of the women, I could see them shutting off all over the building. They said, oh, that's a sermon for men. But listen, your spiritual identity is not about your gender. Your spiritual identity is about your relationship to God the Father. A woman picks up the Bible and reads it, and she is also called to be an heir and a joint heir as a son, even though she's a woman. Your spiritual role involves gender, but your spiritual identity does not, okay? If, and I told him if you're a woman in Jesus, you're a son, even though you're a woman, because if I have to be the bride of Christ, it's okay for you to be a son. You hear me? that? You know what I'm saying? Every man in this room, got to put on your bridal gown, boys. That's <laughs> what's going to be the bride of Christ. And so I, I told him, don't get all gender hurt on me. Every man in the kingdom is called to be the bride of Christ. And if I have to be a bride, they can be a son. But I want you to catch this understanding. Your spiritual identity isn't about your gender. In Galatians 3.28, it goes, There's neither Jew nor Greek. There's neither slave nor free. There's neither male nor female if you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ, then you're Abraham's seed and heirs according. There's that word inheritance. Heirs according to the promise. Paul's not talking about race or status or gender. He's talking about identity. Your identity tonight is as a son of God. A fully inherited, inheriting heir of all that is God's is yours through Jesus Christ. Everything that God gave Christ is yours tonight. You need to understand that. You're not a second-hand citizen. You're not someone that's just, hey, I'm here too. No, you're a fully adopted son. But we wrestle with this. We struggle with this. This idea of of, of you and people like us from our backgrounds being a full heir of all that is ours in Christ Jesus, it's hard for us to do that. Because the truth is, you are an heir long before you're ready for it. You're an heir, and a child can be born and be an heir to a fortune, but he's not ready for the fortune, he's not ready for his inheritance. Because he has to come to an age where he can be released into his inheritance. The same thing is true of you. I've pastored for for 47 years. And there's many men that got saved but could never be released into their inheritance because they wouldn't grow up. Galatians 4 verse 1. Paul says, what I am saying is that as long as the heir is a child. He's no different from a slave, although he owns the whole estate. He is subject to guardians and trustees until the time set by his father. So also, when we were children, we were in slavery under the basic principles of the world, but when the time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law that we might receive the full rights of sons. You see, this concept of adoption, this idea of being adoption is profound. You're not just a child of God this morning. You're not just a sheep in his pasture and his flock. You're a son. You, and being a son, you have all the rights and all the privileges and all the favor that goes with being a son, a, a firstborn son. Our understanding and embracing of the fatherhood of God. It's crucial to understanding all that God has for you, releasing the gifts in your life, the the authority in your life. It was always easy for me to ask stuff from Jesus because Jesus died upon the cross for me. But the Father was like, I didn't know about him. And honestly, for years, I couldn't really give myself. It was easy to preach on Jesus and talk about Jesus loving me. and I didn't even use the Father's name in prayer but it took me years to come into a healthy relationship where I saw God as a good father. I remember being around people sometimes. I'd meet people and i even meet some other men and they would talk about Daddy God. And folks had the word Daddy. I just made my skin crawl. <laughs> it still does a little bit. <laughs> because that kind of intimacy was not, my, was not my world. But listen to me. It is only as you and I fully embrace God. As a good, good father, and ourselves as fully accepted and fully adopted, that the inheritance gets released. See, it's revelation that releases inheritance. It's not how long you've been saved, how much you go to church. It's revelation that releases inheritance. It's revelation that releases inheritance. It's not, it's not, it's not just what you know, it's who you know and how well you know him. That's what Paul is saying. We we're like children a lot of times in church, we're like toddlers. We're being cared for by guardians and trustees that are also called pastors. Until we come and we, we we come into what Jesus died to give us, which is all the rights and all the privileges of being, uh, uh, of being a full heir as an adopted son. Here's the problem: God's called us sons, but we can't receive the inheritance yet because we're acting like children. That's why in scripture there's so, so often you'll find the verses that are t- that telling us, grow up. Don't be children tossed to and fro anymore. Grow up. What is he talking about? He's talking about coming to a place where you understand who you are and who God is. God's word for many men tonight is that you've had your childhood. Great. Video king. Good. But it's time to move on, bro. It's time to grow up into the word. It's time to grow up into the spirit. It's time to grow up into God. And sometimes that's what fathers have to do. They have to force their sons. They have to confront their sons. That's time to grow up. Say, why do I need to grow up? Because you have an inheritance waiting. Your whole ability to minister and pray for the sick and pray deliverance and have revelation and move in the gifts is linked to your revelation of of God the Father and, and your full acceptance in Him and having a confidence you can hear His voice. If you can't hear His voice, you can't minister for Him. Because if you don't hear his voice, all you're doing is parroting what somebody else said. You're not saying what he's saying to you. You're saying what somebody else said to somebody else. 1 Corinthians 13, 11, When I was a child, I talked like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I put childish ways behind me. Paul writes to the Ephesian church in chapter 4, verse 14. Then we will no longer be infants. Tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of of teaching and by the cunning craftiness of men and their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will in all things grow up into him who is the head, that is, Christ. You know, I have a son, and my job was to help Dan grow up. My job was to confront behavior in him that was childlike. There was a time when it was cool. There was a time, it's okay, you're a child, you can do that. But you come to a certain age, and it's a father's job to help you come in to your adult years. And in Scripture, the the time of the child's being released into adulthood comes from the father. It's the father who releases the child into his inheritance. You don't tell the father when you're ready for your inheritance. That's what the prodigal son did. Give me my inheritance. Remember that? You don't tell the Father. The Father tells you. The Father watches you. The Father pays attention to you, sees what you're doing, and he releases you. We see this in the life of Jesus and the life of Joseph. So I want you to think about this tonight. I want you to think about four things that God told his son. In Matthew 17, Jesus takes a few disciples up onto a mountain. You've read this before. You've heard the story. And there he is transfigured before them. He, he elevates off the ground. He levitates up. Woo, up he goes. Begins to shine like the sun. Moses and Elijah show up. It's pretty cool. And God talks. And in this passage, in Matthew 17, 5, the father speaks four things to his son. I want you to see these. Matthew 17, verse 5. While he was still speaking, A bright cloud enveloped them, and a voice from the cloud said, This is my son, whom I love. With him I'm well pleased. Listen to him. I don't know how you read your Bible, but I read mine very slowly sometimes. If you read it carefully, you'll see four separate statements. This is my son, whom I love. With him I'm well pleased. Listen to him. Now you may think this has nothing to do with you, because it just seems like the father talking to his son, but I want to tell you what I believe. I believe this is what the Father is saying to every son in this room tonight. This is what God wants you to hear. This is what God the Father wants every man in this room to hear is hear his voice saying, You're my beloved son, okay, whom I love, in you I'm pleased, and i I want others to listen to you. I'm releasing you into ministry. That's what that means. In Romans 8:28, it says, And we know that all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. For, God, for those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the likeness of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. You and I tonight are the many brothers of whom Jesus was the first. He, we are heirs with him of all that the Father promised to him. That's why Jesus said, greater works shall you do, because I go to be with my Father, but I'm going to send the Holy Spirit, and the same way the Holy Spirit was with me, He's going to be with you. And I want every man in this room tonight to take the words of the Father to His Son that God spoke on the Mount of Transfiguration and receive them for yourself. And realize that God is saying to you, you're my Son, I love you, I'm pleased with you, and to others... They're going to listen to you. I'm trying to stretch you a little bit tonight. This is how God feels about his sons. Now, here's the thing that blows my mind. When I was looking at this truth about fathers, I realized that Joseph, as he's raising Jesus, has four dreams about Jesus. Read the life story of Joseph. He has four dreams. And in these four dreams, these four dreams that he has line up perfectly with the four statements on the Mount of Transfiguration. When Joseph was given the responsibility to raise God's son, he's given four dreams. And each of those dreams relates to one of those phrases, this is my son, whom I love, and whom I'm well pleased, hear him. The first dream was, you're going to receive a son, and his name is going to be called Jesus. In the first dream, he's named, this is my son. In the second dream, he says, I want you to take him to Egypt. The third dream was, I want you to bring him back to Israel. And the fourth dream was, I want you to go and live in Galilee. First dream, names him. Second dream, protects him. Third dream, releases him. Fourth dream, destiny. Each of those dreams relates to the four statements the Father made. Let me unpack those for you before we leave tonight and let God teach you something. Let me give you four words. It's very powerful words. And the first is the word I've used before. It's the word identity. Everyone say identity. Identity. Matthew 1, verse 20. Here's here's Joseph. He's working with what God's told him. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid. Take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son. You are to give him the name Jesus because he will save his people from the sin. In the first dream, God is telling Joseph who Jesus was. He's going to be Emmanuel, God with us. He'll be the Savior of the world. He's giving Jesus identity. You don't have identity until you receive a name. Your identity and your name are linked together. So the first responsibility of Joseph, the first responsibility of a father when a child is born is to name that child. This begins to establish identity. You are my son. You're not a slave. You're not even a soldier. You're not a servant. You're a son. You, you serve in those other roles in spiritual life, but your relationship, where your life comes from, is as a son. And as a son, you're a full heir to all that I have, to everything the Father has. And that's what we all need to be firmly grounded in because that's what the devil's constantly trying to tell you is you're not like the others. You don't have what they have, man. You never have. What God wants you to know is that your identity, I don't care where you're from or what you've done, he sees you as a son. And the message of the first dream, the first statement is, this is my son. That is your identity. That is who you are. That can never be taken away from you. That can't be stolen from you. That can't be eradicated. The first dream is identity. The second dream is security. Matthew 2.13, and when they had gone, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream, second dream, get up, he said, take the child and his mother and escape to Egypt. Stay there until I tell you, for Herod's going to search for you and for the child to kill him. Joseph obeys, takes the Lord to Egypt for two years in a safe environment. And what's interesting is how God financed the trip with the three wise men. That's how they got the money to be able to rise up. They were poor, and yet they had the money to go to to move to Egypt and live there for two years. That's what fatherhood looks like. You're my son, I love you, and I'm going to take care of you. You know, God's love protects us, bro. He's protected you throughout your life. There's men sitting here. You should not be sitting here. But, the, but God the Father protected you because he had a destiny for you. Even you were a child, and didn't even know who you were. He gives you your identity and he gives you your security. You know, real fathers are protectors. That's probably the thing I missed the most as a child. I was not protected. And so you protect yourself and that just causes all kinds of grief with the police. (laughs) But real fathers give security to their sons, don't they? Listen, I want you to know something about God. You're safe with Him. You're safe with Him. You can tell God the Father anything. You're not going to scare Him off. You're not going to surprise Him. Oh! Listen, it's it's impossible to disappoint God. We, 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 you can't disappoint somebody. You can't. It isn't like God goes, oh, man, I never saw that coming. He knows your life from the beginning to the end. All the days of your life were written in a book before you ever lived them. So he's already read your book. He knows all the stupid things you're going to do. <laughs> he's already read that part. Oh, I can't believe he does that. I don't know. He already knows. can't surprise somebody who knows everything. He can only surprise somebody who doesn't know it's coming. So don't don't don't, I've disappointed God? No, you haven't. You're 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 disappointing. (laughs) Okay, and we all get it. But you don't disappoint God. I've never surprised him one time. I've never made a move that he didn't know about, even if it was a wrong move. But he never quit being my father. Never quit protecting me. Never quit giving me identity and security. So every man in this room, you you need to walk out of here tonight knowing I have identity, I'm his son, and you know what? He protects me from things I don't even know, from people that want to kill me, I don't even know. third dream is about ministry. Matthew 2, verse 19, And after Herod died, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt and said, Get up, take the child and his mother, and go to the land of Israel, for those who are trying to take the child's life are dead. Israel was a land of promise. Israel is where he would begin his ministry. The gospel to the Jew first, then the Gentile. This is where Jesus would heal the sick, cast out devils, raise the dead. He was called to the lost sheep of Israel. That's what the Father told Jesus. You're my son. That's identity. I love you. That's security. I believe in you. That's ministry. I'll always be grateful for the spiritual father God gave me when I got saved in 71. He launched me out to preach as a pastor in 1974. I'd only been saved for like two and a half years. They said, yeah, he's good. Send him out. (laughs) In my first pastoral assignment in the city of Yuma, Arizona, I was about a year and a half into it, and I was just getting the crap beat out of me every Sunday at 1130. People would call and say, what time's church starting? I'd say, what time can you be here? We'll start whenever we'll start you come. I called my pastor. I said, listen, man, this ain't working. I said, your investment's not paying off. Your investment in Yuma's not paying off. Maybe we need to come home. He said, Greg, I'm not invested in Yuma. I'm not invested in numbers. I'm invested in you and your wife. We care about you. We, God's going to build a ministry in you. He's got to get some other stuff out first. That's why it hurts so much. But you're going to be all right. We believe in you. He believed in me. And, you know, we stuck it out and went on to build a very successful church. There's still a church there today that I pioneered. In 1974, that church is still there. We stuck it out because, because God God released us in the ministry, and God gives you. And you know what? God believes in you. You know, you, if you're pastoring, if you're a pioneer pastor, you've got to know that. It's really hard to get up and preach thinking, I don't think he's with me. I don't think he even likes me. (laughs) No one's going to buy your story, bro. you got to believe that he believes in you because he does. He sees potential in you that nobody else sees. Amen. I remember uh, uh, this guy in our church years ago that was getting launched out. His name was Mark Something. And when, during conference, when they called out his name, and so Mark and his wife and I going to such and such a place, and there was a couple behind me, and they said, uh, where's he going? They said, who cares? That's what they said. <laughs> who cares? They, just, they had no confidence whatsoever that this guy would make it, but he did. Because it, it isn't the confidence your friends have in you. It's God has confidence in me. God believes in me. You know why? I'm his son. He gave me my name. He gave me my security. He gave me my ministry. Everything I have has come from Him. The fourth dream is destiny. Matthew 2.22, but when he heard that Archelaus was reigning in Judea, in the place of his father, Herod, he was afraid to go there, having been warned in a dream, and he withdrew to the district of Galilee. He was warned in a dream... To not go where he was, to Judea, but to go to Galilee. Why Galilee? Why did the Lord want Jesus to go to Galilee? This was the northernmost part of Israel at the time. That's not where any Jew wanted to be. Among the Jews, the saying was, can any good thing come out of there? Isaiah the prophet called it Galilee of the Gentiles. For Jesus, the Father's redirection to Galilee, to Gentile population, was destiny. This represented Jesus going to include the outcast, the marginalized. He was going to go to the disenfranchised. He was going to go to the people that the Jews weren't into. He was going to preach outside of Israel to people like you and I sitting in this building tonight. The Father directed his son to Galilee of the Gentiles, a place of destiny. The words of the Father on the Mount of Transfiguration are mirrored in the four dreams Joseph received. And it was Joseph who communicated those four dreams to his adopted son, Jesus. As Jesus grows up in the home of Joseph, he got it. I've often wondered when, Jesus, when, when he tripped to the fact that he was God. You wake up one day and say, I'm God. I'm 12 years old and I'm God. I don't know when he got I don't understand it. I don't understand that. I just know that that it was was Joseph, his earthly father, who named him and protected him and, 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 and moved him here and moved him there. He was the one who helped him become everything God the Father wanted him to be. Jesus grows up in that home. He knew who he was, he knew he was loved, he knew he was called, he knew he had destiny. And that's what God wants every son in this room tonight to understand. He wants you to get it. And you're hearing me tonight, but you're struggling to believe that you could ever be a son of God. It isn't enough to hear me say it. I I heard it for years. But because of the, the father blockage in me, it took me a long time to get comfortable with the father. Let me close with this. What did Jesus do to get it? What did he do that, that caused him to receive God's, his understanding and, his, and to develop as a son, to grow into his sonship, to grow into his kingship, to grow into his destiny. Number one, he believed what his father told him. You need to believe what the father says. You're my son. <clears throat> Jesus believed that. You have to start trusting your father's words to you. You can't trust what other people say about you, but you can trust what the father says about you. He believed what his father told him. Number two, he responded to what his parents told him. It was Joseph and Mary who'd been the first ones to teach Jesus about who he was, about his birth. He received from those whose authority he was under. Luke 2, verse 40, And the child grew and became strong in spirit, filled with the wisdom and grace of God was upon him. You see, you won't grow if you can't sit under authority. If you can't sit under pastoral authority, you won't grow. It's hard, to, it's hard to get people to sit under authority. But it's under that authority where you, you, you're going to understand identity. It's under that authority where you're going to receive security. It's under that authority where you're going to receive ministry. It's under that authority where you're going to be released to destiny. You can't launch yourself. Somebody's gotta, someone's got to push the button. Pfft. Number three. He studied what the Word taught. He believed what his father told him. He responded to what his parents taught him. And he studied what the Word showed him. Jesus was a student of Scripture. Think about that. He was a student of the Torah, of the Old Testament. He was a student. When he was 12, he confounded the elders in the synagogue. After his resurrection in Luke 24, he's on the road to Emmaus. He meets two disheartened disciples. And it says in Luke 24, verse 25, he said to them, O foolish ones and slow of heart to believe in all the prophets have spoken. Ought not Christ to have suffered these things to enter into his glory? And beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he expounded to them all the scriptures, the things concerning himself. Think about that. He expounded from all the prophets. I, would, I don't know how many men here in this room that could do that tonight. Every scripture that alludes to, that, that, that pictures, that paints, that typifies. Jesus knew every verse in the Bible that told him who he was. He believed what his father told him. He responded to what his parents told him. He studied the word of God, and finally he obeyed what the Spirit showed him. Years ago, I remember sitting in a conference and listening to sermons. And I was frantically taking notes, planning on stealing what I'd heard. Which is not altogether wrong. But I'll tell you this much. You you can only live so long on secondhand revelation. You, You can only go so far on it. And at some point, you have to hear the voice of God. You have to hear the voice of God. So when I read so and so's book, he heard the voice of God. I know it's a great book, but you can't you can't imitate. You're not him. Sometimes when you I I, I years ago was attending conferences all over America, looking for keys, looking for you know, the keys. There's so many keys. I'm track of all these keys to ministry. These keys and. It dawned on me that a lot of times when I go to a conference at a very successful large church, what they were teaching me was how to catch a wave that was no longer there. We caught this wave, and then we, the church grew to 10,000 people, and we, we surfed it out, and this is what the wave looked like. It was this big, and we did this. We made these moves, and I'm like, I mean, that's awesome. Where's the wave? No, the wave's gone, bro. This is how it got Get your own wave, homie. No, no wave? You're out there paddling around you know, looking desperately. What the heck? Yeah, that's what pastors do. Because there's you know, there's no uh there's no wave. Their success was a wave they caught. You gotta catch your own wave. You gotta pray your own wave in. And then when it arrives, get on that sucker and write it out. Then you can write your book. Amen. Tell us all about it. Would you bow your heads tonight with me all across the building? We are this morning the sons of God. We are this morning the many brothers of whom Jesus is the elder brother. We are this this evening the, the heirs and joint heirs with Christ can't tell you over the years how often I read through those verses and just kind of breezed through them and just kind of glazed over them and just didn't really let them speak to me. But in recent years, the Holy Spirit in His in His kindness, the Holy Spirit so kind, took the time to show me my own shortcomings, my own fearfulness, basically my own family dysfunction. It's hard to come to grips with your own dysfunction. You feel like you're pointing out everybody else's issues and preaching, but he was showing me my own dysfunction because he wanted me to have a relationship not just with Jesus who saved me and whose grace I I, I bask in, and not just the Holy Spirit who empowers me and whose companionship I, I desperately need, but he wanted to show me the love of the Father the faithful father, the protecting father, the security-giving father, the identity-giving father. He wanted me to have that because from that came so many things that finished and completed and added to and supplemented everything else God had done. And you may be like me tonight. The idea of of God the Father being a good good father. You don't have a reference point for that. You don't have a you don't have a a place to write that down because you didn't grow up that way. Father wasn't there. He wasn't protective. He was dangerous. You found yourself hiding from your father. Your entire family hid from your father. Because he couldn't be trusted. And so you got saved, but you carried a lot of that right into the, you carried that right in to the kingdom. And some of the things you wrestle with, some of the battles you fight, you're, 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 you're trying to repent of all kinds of things, but what's really, what's really missing there is you've not grown up yet. You've not accepted. You've not embraced the Father fully tonight. And I just leave the, I just, I just commit you to the Holy Spirit's working tonight. To let him show you and teach you and help you get a grip on this. If you are fortunate to have a good father, you're so blessed. You're blessed beyond words. Never take that for granted. Never think that everybody has that because they don't. And tonight I want want to open the altars in just a moment. and I want men to come. And I want men to, in this place, I want you to embrace the father. I want you to release any bitterness, release any resentment, release any any orphan spirit of you trying to do it all by yourself because you're, you're afraid there's no one going to help you. Just let go of that. Because we serve a good, good father. We serve a father who can be trusted. We serve a father who cares more for you than anybody does. And he's here tonight to help you.